0: The atonement of Jesus Christ is the central part of of what we believe, and that's about change. We always think of repentance as a bad thing, but it's such a powerful tool. Uh, It's not a bad thing. Repentance is just change. Turning towards God and giving up the old and picking up the new. No matter what level you're on, whether you're the the prophet or you're not, they're down here somewhere. No matter where you are, the process is exactly the same. Forsake. Turn to God and change.
1: It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and uh, I'm grateful in this episode. Uh, if you remember back a while back, we had our, our friend Portia Louder uh, here on the show, and uh, since she has been on, and by the way, check out her book, Living Louder, uh, she has she has multiple times sent me text messages that says, you know who you need to visit with. And certainly Travis Ritchie, one of our more popular episodes, is one that she recommended to us. This episode that you're about to listen to is another portion recommendation. I feel like I should get a logo or something to go on the artwork for the episodes that Portia tells us about. It is Mark Hugentobler. Mark, thanks for being here.
0: I'm, glad, I'm sure glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, Rich. And
1: I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. Uh, Obviously, uh, if you know anything about Portia or you listen to that episode, or if you haven't find it in the show notes, go and listen to it and then come back and listen to this. Um, You know, she talks a lot uh, about um, her time that she was in prison and uh, and the the lessons that she learned and certainly has uh, come on the other side of that experience to have a lot of empathy and compassion for um, those who would find themselves on the other side of the law. And this conversation today uh, deals with those same people, Mark. I don't, I don't even know how to sort of onboard this, uh, but if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and then how your uh, path has intersected not only with Portia but with those that are incarcerated.
0: Well, great. I was, uh, I grew up in Southern Utah, um, white picket fence life. Had a good life. Great parents. Uh, great friends. Grew up in a small community. Um, now when riding you dirt say, bikes. When you
1: say small, hold on. What are we talking? Are we talking like St. George Small or are we talking like oh, no. Paraguna Small?
0: Yeah, closer to Paraguna. Three thousand people.
1: Okay. Okay. A uh,
0: little town called Monticello, southeastern Utah, if you've ever heard of that place. It's about 60 miles south of Moab. Okay. And so it's uh, it's out in the, it's really very remote, but it's a great place. At least it was for us. Um hunt, hunting and fishing, uh dirt riding dirt bikes water skiing, snow skiing, anything a kid could dream of doing in his free time was was available to us. Um, And then as I got a little bit older, we got into high school sports, football and basketball and track. Uh, I just had a great life, good friends, um, uh, great parents, great mentors. So I grew up in that world and I was an odd head kid. we, We got into some trouble, but we never, you know, we never crossed any serious lines. We were mischievous and made some mistakes, but we never hurt anybody. and But it was a great life. Uh, yeah, it's just being a kid, right? You do those things yeah. that you go, boy,
1: I should have never done that. Or you look back and go, I can't <laughs> believe we did that and survived. But, you know, it's growing
0: up. Yeah, it is. and But it was a good life. And and I grew up uh, in the... Went went on a mission for my church. Went to France for a couple of years, and it was a great experience. Very hard. I uh, got back. Uh, I grew up... Uh, I wanted to be a basketball coach. Okay. Um, I really wanted to play, but I wasn't good enough to play past junior college. And I probably wasn't quite good enough to play there, but I did. Um, but but uh, I, I came home from my mission. I went to Snow College. I was there, and that's where I met my wife, Okay. A wonderful lady. She stuck with me in spite of the fact that I became a basketball coach. Yeah. Which is a kind of a story in and of itself, but uh, – We've, we've, uh, followed that. We followed that dream for 23 years, uh, in two communities, had a nice family, great, great kids, four boys and a little girl. They're all, you know, my girl is 20, 22 now. So emptiness so now it's just you and, and your wife doing the second or I guess third phase of life. Yeah. I'm not sure what phase it is, but we're in the middle of it <laughs> and we're, we're trying to enjoy it. Um, I you know but that was that was my life. I so I was a basketball coach and really pretty successful. We won our fair share and my kids got to play for me. At least the three older boys did. I retired before my younger boy played. So this But sounds, we're successful What's yeah, that. It
1: sounds to me just like every uh, success story, right? Yeah, you, you did the thing. You had the good life. You found the love of your life. You're you're pursuing a thing, and then you're able to obtain it, and then you know able to cultivate the the great family life that uh, that you were able to experience for your kids. Uh, you you did that. So so where does this story go in a different non
0: basketball coach way? <laughs> well, I I, uh, re- I retired from coaching basketball and was the assistant principal at the high school or here in Manti where I worked. And uh, being a basketball coach in public a public school setting is kind of unique, because public school teachers kind of have a certain personality. It's a good personality. It's 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 nurturing and it's warm and it's you know it's just a different kind of persp- perspective on life than a basketball coach, who you know aggressive and focused and intentive, living a life with intention and purpose and driven. So it wasn't uncommon for me to have a little bit different perspective than most, than most teachers, but I, we got along real well. And I think we all understood that. And I made great friends. Uh, My faculty was, or excuse me, the the people I worked with in the faculty were, we were had good feelings and good camaraderie, but as an assistant principal, I was working with a principal who didn't see eye to eye with me. Mm. Um, And, I, I don't want to say who was right and who was wrong. It's just, I was but a very we, But we know, we know today <laughs> who was right and who was wrong. I'm teasing. I wasn't one to sit in my office. Okay. I'm, I'm a pretty big guy, 6'2", 225 pounds, but I'm kind of a chihuahua. I have very high energy. And so uh, I wasn't one to sit in my office and do paperwork. I wanted to be out working with students and working with faculty. And he took offense to that. He kind of thought I was trying to get his job. Mm. And I, I'm also a very loyal person, so that isn't even possible. Um, I tried to be loyal to him, but he was very upset with me. Um, and I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a maverick. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. Um, anyway, being a basketball coach, there's a lot of great things about it in a small community, but there's also some challenges. Uh, you make enemies. Sure. You have to cut kids from your team. I I, I probably I probably cut twenty kids from my basketball team every year. Now, in a small community, there's two several communities that go to our high school of probably about 10,000 people, 8,000 people. Uh, you start cutting 10 or 20 kids a year, and you, you the list of people who probably aren't fr- your friend adds up pretty quick. And mm-hmm. most of the people that I work with are good people. They, You know, they saw it, and, you know, they knew their kid was where he belonged, and if he didn't make it, he didn't make it. And But there were some who just didn't. I couldn't accept it
1: well, and there yeah, and and in that community, I know for some of those, they feel like that's their ticket sort of out of that community. If they're going to be able to play or be able to afford college, it's going to be on some sort of sports scholarship. And so at the point that they try in the thing that they feel like they're good at and you say, no, you're not that good at that. you're you know they they almost feel like it's a, a bigger ramifications than just, oh, he's not playing JB this year.
0: yeah and and, and but most of the people really understood there <laughs> really wasn't a lot of problem but the school board every every school district is is run by a publicly elected elected school board and there were two members of that school board who were not fans of mine who were not <laughs> my fans they were in fact just the opposite they one of them had actually been after me for t- 10 years 15 years a long time and uh anyway that school board got together with the principal and and based on some you know some of the things that I did the decisions i made and uh they decided that they were going to get rid of me And so one day I'm at the end of the school year, my third year as assistant principal, I think this was in 2011, superintendent calls me to his office downtown, I take the, when I say downtown, the high school's on the edge of town, school (laughs) district is the middle of town, and I drove four and a half blocks. Yeah, yeah,
1: (laughs) no stoplights, Uh uh-oh, I gotta go downtown, I should I walk or should I drive, get there at the same time.
0: So anyway, I get there, I walk in, he's a good good man and I walked in and I could see by look on his face he had something serious on his mind and he's he sat me down and says Mark I got some bad news. Mm. The school board's sending you to prison. And I didn't want to go. I the principal there's I need to throw in this piece. People don't realize this at least in Utah uh this prison education programs are under the umbrella of this the local school district. Oh really? No, I don't I didn't realize that. Yeah, so the prison There's a prison in Gunnison, Utah, which is within our school district boundaries, and so the people that work there are employees. the The people that work there as educators are employees of the school district, and it wasn't uncommon. You know, for example, I was going to go. I was sent to replace a guy that was there, and he had been the principal at the high school that I was working at before. Went to the prison for two or three years. Okay. And then when I went there, he was moved to to the middle school in Ephraim in our district. So it wasn't uncommon for people to go in and out of that, uh, the prison system, and various reasons that happened. But-
1: the the, obvi- the obvious joke and or question is is how much is the high school different from the prison? But uh, maybe I'll just throw that out there. As far as you know, <laughs> to be able to be so interchangeable, it's like what are what are we saying about
0: either one of those? Then I guess. <laughs> well, the is supposed to be the same, but it re- I found that it really wasn't. But i don't know that's just the way it's set up i didn't Mm -hmm. make the. i didn't create the system so anyway i didn't want to go i you know the the guy that had been there before he actually did want to go it's kind of an escape is an easier job you didn't have as much pressure in fact nobody even knew you were there and nobody cared honestly Mm -hmm. Uh, i didn't want to go that wasn't my personality uh i was not i was not happy yeah i was very upset i'd gone i'd driven past that prison um, hundreds of times, and either I drove by without a thought, or I drove by and thought, you know, those are the derelicts of society. Mm. Those are the dregs of society. They deserve what they get, yeah. you know, dirt bags, all of those thoughts. And I, I regret that now, but I throw that out there. as important because I think most people kind of think that at some level or another, you know, those guys, the this, this system is doing all they can to help them, and they don't care, and they're never going to change, and they're just a bunch of criminals. Yeah. And that was my perspective, and I did not want to do it. Um, so I went, but but I didn't have a
1: choice choice. because the other thing
0: I know about small town living is
1: like there, there are only so many jobs. And if you're only, you know, sort of in a particular kind of profession, it's like, okay, well, (laughs) there are four other (laughs) sort of jobs, kind of like this, maybe, (laughs) and I've done two of them and they don't want me in that one. So (laughs) they're giving me a chance. I guess I go in and you seem to me to be like a, well, I'll make the best out of it kind of guy.
0: Well, I, I hope that's the case. But you're right. I, we we could have moved. I could have, you know, I could have got another job in a school district in another community. Uh, I don't think that would have been hard at all. But I, we didn't want to move. We uh, we were actually just in the process of building a new home, and and I didn't. I lo- we love it here. My parents or my wife's parents live here. Um, it's a great place. So anyway, I just the su- the superintendent says, you know, Mark, if you'll just bite the bullet, go and do your time. It'll be a couple of years. These school board members are going to be up for election that are not your fan. And when they are real, when we, when they'll be, he was confident that they would be replaced by ballot by, and he's when they're gone, we'll bring you back. And so I said, okay, I'll go. I can do, I can do a couple of years. So, (laughs) uh, so so a particular question about this prison though,
1: are these, uh, these are uh, adults, right? These are not children, but it's, but it's, it's, they're given the same sort of curriculum. Um, tell me about the the actual people that are, are incarcerated at this place.
0: Okay, They're the same people in Gunnison as there
1: are in Salt Lake. Okay, they're so all adults, these are anything from white-collar to, to
0: blue-collar to to, to... to violent. Okay. Okay. Uh, just, yeah, the whole gambit. So, so exactly like a high school. Only safer. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh i've told people when i was there i says you know i felt a lot safer in prison than sometimes i did in high school yeah, i kept is... waiting for some big football player to come up and decide have, to want to prove how big a man he was and so i get some kind of altercation but and i was never i, I was never well at first i was kind of nervous but once i realized the situation i was never very uh never afraid never never nervous while i was there but you're right the curriculum is the curriculum's actually somewhat different it's supposed to be the same but under the circumstance the way it is there's no there's no money for books for example uh, anyway i got there and i thought well i'm just going to do my time the guy that was before me says you know mark this is an easy job you just show up and you you monitor the you create schedules and you monitor and and you're done uh, so, and uh, so i'm actually not as familiar so
1: i want to just ask some questions and i'm assuming that absolutely a lot of people listening are like this so when you say create schedules uh I I know I guess based from my TV and movie watching um that the majority of the time those that are um in prison uh they they have like some time where they're able to be outside and it's sort of like free free-ish time right to be able to be outside or to work out or play ball or whatever right time that they're in the yard if that's even the right thing to call it but then also uh y- you have your sort of daily schedule is it like a um like a uh, like a school schedule where it's like, hey, everybody has to kind of be up, and then you're starting. Uh, not necessarily like the first thing is like ent- the first hour is English, but are they scheduled in such a way that it's like, you know, this is this, then eight to nine, there's this, then nine to eleven is this time, and 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 it's all that, or is it they can kind of accomplish any of these things in the countless hours that they'll have while they're yeah, there? No,
0: that's a great question. The answer is. They have a they have a pretty set schedule okay uh, for example they usually get up at five, thir- five, 5 5 30 and have breakfast. jeez uh classes can start as early as seven o'clock. The school is completely it was not mandatory it was mm-hmm. it was by choice there was programming classes that the that the prison provided uh in a different corridor uh yard time each housing unit had their yard time they didn't send everybody out to the yard at the same time mm-hmm. each housing unit would have a time for the yard so they would go out and have have their time outside or if the weather was bad they had mini yards that are very big at all you know 20 10 by 20 Oof. um so they really couldn't get out much but yeah but there was a schedule and they were expected to be where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there mm. some of them worked so they had a work schedule um some of them didn't really do anything they just sat in their they just sat back in their housing unit and watched tv and Played poker and played ping pong, so it just kind of depended. But there was definitely a schedule, and so guys. Ed,
1: so education, though, uh, to reiterate what you just said, is an optional thing. So at least the people that are coming to be a part of this uh, have chosen it. It's some sort of privilege that you can engage them on in in that sort of way.
0: At that time, it was okay. uh, that way. Uh, it was a bit of a privilege, you know. All of the guys, if you if you didn't have certain behavioral levels you couldn't be you wouldn't be allowed to come to education or to programming
1: okay
0: so yeah that was the case when i went there there was 200 and uh, i'm losing my mind when i went there there was 272 students enrolled oh, in our school that first that first term wow um so there and there was 1800 guys or well at the time 1500 guys in that prison so Jeez. a small portion of them came the literacy level when I went there was uh, just over the fifth grade. How, average... how
1: much, uh, just to interject here, how much do you think of what um, what uh, brought people there? Or in a bigger question, how much uh, of a factor is education do you feel like for those that find themselves in prison? Meaning, is, is, can you draw a line from if someone's not uh, educated that
0: they're more likely to be incarcerated? I think absolutely, to a certain degree. I think it kind of depends on the education you're defining. Uh, but literacy level, for example, Rich, can you imagine not being able to read a road sign? I met men no. who could not read. They, they were born in America, and they literally could not. They could read road signs because they were one word, but they really were illiterate. Uh, the average literacy, when men go, go to prison, they have to take a literacy test. And the average, at the time in Gunnison, the average literacy was just over the fifth grade level. So it was, it was, uh, it, and it was really kind of sad. In fact, when I got there, I was just going to do my time and get, get out. Mm-hmm. Within about three months, I realized that this is crazy. All these men wandering around playing ping pong, playing poker, playing softball in the yard, uh, just aimless lives. And I started working with some of the, the men, the the inmates that worked in our school. We had, we would hire at the time there was about 10, 12 tutors that were inmates that would come and help our teachers, you know, like a an aide, if you will. Mm-hmm. And one of them in particular named Charles Gordon, I started interviewing or started working with. And I found him to be a fascinating man. In fact, one of the most amazing men I've ever met, intellectually, organizationally, uh, work ethic, just a crazy, talented man. And we started looking, I started looking around, thinking this is a waste. My job is to help. My job is to help change these men so they can get back into society and live good lives. And what we were doing was not even effective. It was a honestly, it was a waste of everybody's time and money and energy. What, was there and, a, was there a pivotal
1: uh, moment you're talking about uh, working with Charles Gordon? Is it was it a time uh, specifically with him, or like one day you went home and you're like, I'm just putting in my time, and then the next morning, as you're putting your clothes on, you're like, and today I'm changing the minds of the world, like overnight, <laughs> it changed. How, how how did you go from ah, I'm I'm punching the time card? Was there a specific moment where you're like nope i'm not doing this this way anymore or what made the change
0: well i think it was a transition over over several weeks to a month or so i remember the first time i came home and says honey i got it all wrong and she thought i was crazy because she was you know she was very nervous about me going to prison it's a scary place and it's sure a terrible place and and i said honey i got it all wrong there's a lot of men in there that want to change they mm. want to learn they want to become different they just don't have any path the system as it exists, it, and I say this, no, I don't say it tongue in cheek. It was pathetic. Yeah. They incarcerate people, but they don't correct people. At least that's the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. And and the, the education program was just it was just there. Yeah. And so I, I just I just kind of woke up. I came to myself. I realized that I was everything I thought was wrong. The system was not doing everything it could. And these men do want to change. And I I what I found is you know we live in a wonderful state with wonderful people but for some reason our forgiveness stops at the prison gates mm. and we're a little less willing to forgive and forget when it comes to these men because we think they can't change and and we kind of have seen that they get 70% of them for example i don't know if you realize this 95% of them are going to get out of prison mm-hmm. and 70 over 70% of them are going to go back yeah re- the recidivism rate is pretty high
1: 70% 7 out of 10
0: Yep, yeah, And that's crazy. I'm going, this is, we have a perfect incubator for change. We have a perfect scenario to help men change. We just have to create the patterns and we have to create the opportunities and, and then let them, let them choose. And if I can just tell the short story please. within, we started revamping the education system. We started working. I started reaching out, working with the housing units, the captains and lieutenants there. And we went from uh, 270 some odd students. Within within just a year, we doubled that to 500. Hmm. And when I left in 2019, uh, 2018 actually, no, it was 2019. It was before the pandemic. Um, there were over 1,100 men in our school. Wow. So we we had two thirds of the men in that prison were directly involved in education. We had developed post secondary programs. So instead of just teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic on a high school history science on high school level, a lot of these guys completed. And they came and we kind of looked at what should we do with these guys? They've, their their literacy scores are up in the 10th, 11th grade level. Uh, they're doing really good. We've helped them a lot. They says, Mark, get, let's figure something else out. Mm-hmm. So we brought in classes and we did all of this without any money, really. And we brought in classes from Weber State, from Salt Lake Community, from Snow College. We created our own uh, um, industrial trades program so we taught everything in the book in industrial trades we built we had a yard to the west of our our corridor we we built a wood shop and we hmm. started building sheds and picnic tables and shooting tables and all kinds of different things for people so we would have inmates come in and learn these skills and then we would sell those products to the community and then we'd do some more and hmm. use that money to you know fund our our, pro- our projects so we really created a, a really neat environment. Uh, we had 100 guys who were volunteers, 100 men, inmates. And they would give me at least 10 hours of their time every week to come and help us without wow. just non-gratis. And, and the service and the, the interest level and the desire to change just was empowering and, and kind of took over our world. And hmm. that's what I found. And, and I was so baffled and, that I was, could be that wrong about something.
1: I want to take a break right here. I want to come back, and I want to, um, I, uh, when when we get back in, I want to talk about what changes for those that uh, are inmates, those that are incarcerated, from from uh, where, what it was like for them before, and then they have this opportunity, and then how things changed for them. Uh, we'll get back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. <laughs>
0: creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call
1: 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. We love hearing from you. You could be the next Porsche to the Cultural Hall. You could say, I know this great guest and you have to have this person in and I hope that you do that. Uh, Or if you just want to tell us that you like uh, hearing what Mark has to say, or if you have a particular topic, maybe you don't know who the great guest would be, but you you're like you guys should really talk about, and then fill in the blank there. You're more than welcome to send that as well. Contact at theculturalhall.com. So, Mark, um, you know, you go in and and you're this guy that uh, says, you know what, uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna do my time, and then you're like, wait a minute, I can really change some lives here, and then you start to see the lives change. If for no other reason, those that are um, interacting in the program doubles within the first year. What do you think it is about? What uh, you uh, what you brought in, what education brings into the lives of these people that that can provide any change, that can make a different life. Like what what is it about it that that allows any sort of correction, to use that word, to to uh, to happen?
0: Well, there's several things. Uh, first of all, I, I, you kind of got to imagine the situation that I walked into. It was it was without without a, a better way to describe it, hopeless.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the officers lived a hopeless life. They were babysitting adults. Can you imagine anything worse than babysit- babysitting a bunch of men? Uh, they were bored. They were. It was a very benign work environment. The inmates were hopeless. They saw no light at the end of the tunnel. They didn't know what was coming next. They didn't. They could see no way to improve their lives. They just jumped into the criminal mindset. You know, the drugs and the and the gangs and you know, gangs run the prison. You know, corrections. The, the officers control the gangs, but the gangs really run the prison. And so it, it was. It was just a hopeless world. And what we did is we provided hope. They didn't trust me at first. They 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 came in dragging their feet, but after about a six months to a year, seeing the the sincere nature of what we we're doing, they started to buy in, and, and they started this, the word started to spread. And so we provided, provided hope. And if you, I don't, I can't imagine living life without hope. You know, do, you, do you think that it's a um? Because a, a few things come to my mind,
1: right? Like um, like one uh, is I think okay. Well, if I couldn't read when I got in, and then you know uh, I'm able to read, there's a certain amount of like self-esteem that I go, hey, absolutely, I couldn't do this thing, and now I can do this thing. Maybe where they had given up on themselves or were hopeless about themselves to be able to have um, concrete evidence of something to the contrary. Oh, I'm a, I'm an illiterate uh, felon. Oh, no, wait, I'm a literate felon. Oh, wait, I'm out of jail now. I'm a literate contributing member of society. I think that that can kind of be part of it. They'll hope that they give themselves. But how much do you think it is that they just needed someone to know that they were uh, cared for by someone?
0: Well, I think it's, I think it's a huge part of it. You know, we live our lives around people who love us and who care for us and who nurture us and who help us grow and who kick us in the butt once in a while. Yeah, You know, that's how we live our lives, most people. And they live a life where they just got kicked in the teeth all the time. That was what life was like. They were just getting kicked in the teeth all the time. Any glimmer of hope, any glimmer of change was always, it was like crabs in a bucket. Anybody who wanted to change, whether they were officer, because there are a lot of good people. I need to stop and say this. I'm the officers that I work with and the large majority of them were just good people stuck mm-hmm. in a broken system. Uh, you know, they were, I, I, in fact, I live in the communities with them. I've known them. When I went there as a basketball coach, most of them knew me. Mm-hmm. Cause in these small communities, basketball coaches are either, you know, they're either they have notoriety. People knew know who they are and they're either famous or infamous. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and so uh, they're good people; uh, they really are. But they were just stuck in this broken system, and the the system is very punitive. It's a prison; t- it's, a, it's a prison mentality, not a corrections. So these guys, we were providing hope, and it was good. And the officers that we started working with out in the housing units, they liked what we were doing because now instead of their guys back in their cells or back in their housing units causing trouble, they're out learning and, and engaging in something positive, and then are kind of bringing that back. And though no, we didn't completely change the culture of the prison we changed a lot of it. And, and and most of the men and women in the housing units that we worked with really appreciated what we did. We patterned a lot of our things. There was a really great program called Strive in one of the housing units in Gunnison. That was a, we patterned a lot of what we did. It was an incentive-based program. We patterned a lot of what we did after them. So they had a lot of good ideas. They just, the crabs in the bucket mentality all mm-hmm. over the place.
1: Uh, explain that in case people don't understand the crabs in a bucket.
0: Well, you throw a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one of them tries to climb out and one of the other ones reach up and drag him back in. And you can, crabs can't get out of a half-full bucket because one of them always drags the other one, the one that's trying to get out back in. And it's that's a, kind of the world that is a prison.
1: That's pretty powerful what? when you think about that, that it probably really is is like that. Oh, who do you think you are? Come yep. on back, right? And, yep. then, and then we on the outside don't do any favors of like, Oh yeah, no, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're great. Get back to where you need to be. I you know. How, how do you expect us to interact together? Some issues of trust, some issues of ignorance where we just don't know the sort of correction uh, that, 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 um, you know, that individual has been through. I wonder when you, um, there's a missing piece of the story for me that I want to find out a little bit more about because you go, oh, okay, I'm going to the, uh, you know, the correctional facility and I'm going to be in charge of this and you're like ah, i'm just going to punch the time card and then there's the change to oh oh this system is broken but then there's a part of it you you don't know what you're doing you 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 know you're you don't like, have a clue <laughs> yeah so so talk, so take me there what was it like as you learned to uh to be able to help these people uh the 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 tough lessons Maybe the ones where you were like, Oh man, this was heartbreaking. Take me to maybe one of those. And then one of those great successes where you're like, oh no, this this really does make a difference. Heartbreak first and then they making a difference.
0: Um the heartbreak actually came later and I'd like to tell that at the end.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Or afterwards. Then take, the then take me to the successes. Yeah, the heartwarming.
0: The the reason the reason that that I was able to succeed is because of my background. Um as a high school basketball coach basically your skill set is to empower young men to go play basketball and win games. You can't score a basket by yourself. You can't play guard anybody. You can't do anything except try to teach someone else how to go do that. And so that skill set really came in handy because I got to prison and I took my players, which who were inmates, I, we created an inmate council. We went from 12 tutors up to 48 tutors. We brought in all these men that bought into what we were doing and and literally together they created the programs they got it they came up with the ideas these things will work in our environment these things can we can do in our environment because i had no idea you know it was we created we created a Uprep, which was the college program we I described we created a program called outreach where we actually took our education program to the housing units and held classes in those housing units hmm. provided cell study programs in a kind of a group way, in those housing units, so we did all kinds of things that the inmates really created. So I just empowered them to come up with these ideas to do stuff, and my job was to go to the warden and 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 get it implemented, get permission to do it. And I had a very, I had three wardens in my eight-year experience, and the first two were very cooperative. I just walk in and say, "Okay, go try that. Go try that." And the second one was a little less like that, but pretty much. Yeah, go try that. Yeah, okay, you can do that. Uh, the third one was a little bit different. And that's the sad part of the story that we'll tell a little bit later. But but that was a, that, it was just joy after joy. I would have men come, in, and we, we didn't make education mandatory. Mm-hmm. But for them to receive all of the freedoms and all of the opportunities that they wanted in prison, they had to participate in education. So they had a choice. But if they wanted a really good job and if they wanted – you know, to be able to go to yard at certain, certain times, they had to—they had to be involved in education. And when a lot of them would come in and say, "I don't want to do this. This is stupid," they'd stand in my or, my office door and they would be upset with me. And it was amazing how many of them, eight years, eight months later, or a year later, would stand in that same door and instead of cussing me, they would say, "Thanks." That hmm. happened often. I want to, uh,
1: I want to push a little bit more on this. Can you take me to a specific example of a specific individual? I don't need a name. I don't need any sort of identifying thing about that. But I'm sure that as I ask this question, something comes to mind where you had the experience with them initially, and maybe they were receptive or maybe they weren't. But that you, you know, as they were able to walk, either you walking alongside them, them aside you, how
0: a life was changed. Can you tell me a little bit about that? You bet. We had a guy come to my office and he had just come to, he had just moved to Gunnison. He'd been in Salt Lake and Salt like they didn't have all these, all these opportunities and education was the old way. Mm-hmm. And he had been told by his liaison, who was an inmate the requirements for education and he came down to my office to get what they called an exemption, which basically I could exempt their, their housing unit captain could exempt them and they come in and whined to me. Well, this guy came in and started whining to me. He was older. He was, uh, Oh, Danny was probably in his mid fifties by then. Okay. And he didn't need education and he was a businessman and he owned a construction company. He had all these things on the streets and he didn't need any of this stuff. And he was, he was bound and determined to get an exemption. And I said, dude, yeah, you know, there's no, nothing, nothing I can do. You've got to go to your housing unit captain to get an exemption. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't do it. I don't do exemptions unless there's an educational, you know, if they're intellectually challenged, I can do some exemption stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, and, and I says, if you want exemption, you you got to go talk to your captain. The last person that these guys ever want to talk to is their housing unit captain. <laughs> that is not a good place to be. Okay. And he was pretty darn upset, but he was so upset. He says, well, I'm going to go talk to him. So he goes and talks to his captain and and comes back maybe a week later. And he's still mad. He says, my captain won't give me an exemption. I says, why? Well, okay, then you guess you're going to have to own school. Says, I'm not going to do it. I says, well, it's your choice, Danny, but you've just got to if you, I'm, I'm here to help you. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a pain. I'm not trying to be hard. Those are your options. So the the new term started in a, a week or so ahead. And so he came and enrolled in school and, and he was okay. Literacy wise, I think, I don't remember exactly. He was a sixth, seventh grade reading level. His tape scores were right in that neighborhood, you know, junior high level. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he, he came and went to school and he started going to school. And he, he stayed in our school for about eight months maybe even nine months and over that period of time he improved his levels by two grade levels up to almost the 11th grade Wow and and when he got done with that he came we had we had started our U prep program and he wanted we had a, we were teaching a business class and it was actually interesting because the, the instructor for that class was an inmate that had been approved by snow College to teach the course and give credit wow and so he said "I'll." I'll he enrolled in that class and he took that business class and sought as a way to help him with his businesses when he got on the streets. He became one of our volunteers. And he became a, a person who we relied on to, to help with different in different things in a, in a program. And, and when he was done, we were good friends. When I was done. When I left, we were good friends. And when when we first met, we were not. He was not. I was not his favorite person. And, and um, you're- as you're able to watch his
1: uh trajectory the way that he went i mean you sort of tell the like chronological he this and then this and then this what do you as you observe it what did you see that the change was why why did he go from i don't want to do this you're an idiot mark we're not can give me an exemption what did you observe that that changed in him that then made him not only your friend but saying hey i want to i want to be a part of this this system and help other people to, to get past yeah, it.
0: He, he saw our genuine concern. Mm. We weren't there just to make him do something or to be, to to have power over him or to have money. He just saw that we wanted to help him be a better person. Mm. And in the process of that, he, he lost his, a lot of his criminal mentality and a lot of his against, and he became more humble and more passive or more accepting of the fact that we just wanted to help. And when he saw that, He wanted to help. Mm. And so it changed. It really did change his general nature. I don't think education in the learning in the book sense is the key is the total key to changing these men's lives. I think helping them have a change in personal perspective and personal initiative and personal values is what really makes a difference. And that's what happens when a
2: person,
0: as I recall, I think I left this piece out. He had dropped out of high school. Mm. Uh, and which was not uncommon. Most of a lot of these men had failed miserably the first time around. They didn't want to do it again. And we gave them an opportunity to do it right. And to be and succeed. And he just it just I just changed him. And there's stories like that all over the place. I could come up with another dozen uh, who who said, hey, I I want to be like you, Mark, or I want to be like this. I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to I want to transform my inner personality and my inner desires. I don't want to victimize people. I want to serve people. I don't want to hurt people. I want to help people. And and I saw it over and over again. And and now did we cure everyone? And were they completely, quote unquote, cured or changed? They weren't. But we gave them opportunities, gave them hope, and gave them really a purpose and a a sense of success. So
1: One of of the things that has uh, struck me in what you've said, and and certainly in what I... um what I know about the prison system and and then just looking at at twenty first uh, century everyone is there's there's an element um that is often talked about of accountability. And I know being able to to talk to, i I spent some time uh, in working at the county jail in uh, Salt Lake and uh, having the opportunity to talk with people. And it was always interesting because you could tell the people who were really making life uh, changes. Were accountable. They had said, "I did this thing. I'm making these changes, you know, and kind of going about it." And then the there you would meet another group of people that would say, "Oh, I didn't even do it. I I'm not here. You know, that th- it's because of this and that pe- person and this guy here and you know they oh they're just trying to keep me." Talk to me about accountability, uh, both what you taught, what you observed, and, and then how much uh, it's an important part, not only uh, of this system, but just in general, to be accountable.
0: Well, I refer to that accountability as coming to themselves. Okay. Um, the, 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 par- the, par- the parable of the prodigal son talks about this kid who thought he knew everything and jacked up his life and left his dad and went off in the world and spent all his money and ruined his life. And then he came to himself and he realized that he was he had been an idiot. Mm. And that his dad, what his dad offered him was a whole lot better, even if he were a servant than what he was getting right now. So he put his put his hat in his hand, put his tail between his legs, and went back to his dad. And I call that coming to themselves. I think that's what you're describing. Mm-hmm. And and I believe that the majority of these men have come to themselves at some point in their experience. I really do. Now the, the problem is when they do in, this, in, the, in the parable when he comes to himself, he goes to his dad, his dad greets him in o- with open arms, and he's he, he's, he's given, doesn't say it doesn't give a lot of detail, but clearly he's given an opportunity to put his life back together. He's not thrown back in the pigsty. He's not he's not pushed aside. He's given hope. The, the key is he's given hope for change. What happens in the current system is when they they come to themselves. It's a very vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. In a prison, it's pretty dangerous to be vulnerable. So instead of having an opportunity to for for hope and for growth and for becoming, they have to pull the mask back down over their face, mm-hmm. and they have to go back to being a tough guy criminal. And it creates a cycle of 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 masking, and of pulling back, and of not being able to to jo- jump into that change because there's just not a lot of avenues for it. And so the men that you see, you saw that had come to themselves. The difference with them is they were so determined to change that they were going to do it by their own will. They were going to say, "I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm done with this." And there's a piece of that too. They have to get to a point, the bottom of the barrel, sometimes. Was I'm done with this? I'm going to live a life. I, I have a podcast and interview uh, formerly incarcerated people called "All My Friends Are Felons," and and every one of those stories has a has a coming-to-themselves moment in it where they say, I am done with this. I have got to figure out a better way. And the ones that are given a path and a chance, it's so much better for them than the ones that are pulled, the crabs that are pulled back down in the bucket.
1: And and when, uh, you know, those of us that have never been incarcerated or been around uh, people that have, you know, we just as you said, you had the perception as you drove past the jail, those are the worst of the worst or you just didn't give them any sort of consideration. Um, You know, we have the opportunity to interact either knowingly or not with with the people that have been incarcerated on the other side. And yet I think just like the crabs pulling people down, we do contribute to that. Hey, I don't trust you. Or, you know, where that person has been. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, say they come to themselves within their time, they're able to get educated. They're able to come out, but then in a whole different sort of way, we, uh, put them right back in the bucket and, or also, but you know, there there is a part of it where where people would say well h- how do i know that they have changed how can i trust that you know they've come to their, themselves and they're not going to do this again or, or or talk to me a little bit about that piece how can all of us that 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 aren't doing this on the day to day that may have the opportunity to impact the lives of someone uh, that has made their way through the system and come out, or, you know, family member or otherwise, how can we engage that person, protecting ourselves, but also be hopeful and optimistic that they have come to themselves and that uh, a true change has occurred?
0: Well, I think that's a great insight and a great question. And it really comes back to the, a big problem that exists. If you think about it, if you're an average homeowner, or you're an average citizen, 95% of these guys get out, 70% of them go back. That's a pretty low success rate it's hard to trust. (laughs) It's hard to trust. It's hard to say, oh, yeah, yeah, he was in prison, but we're going to give him a chance. That's a pretty high risk. Um, So it's it's pretty easy to defend our uh, that perspective of, well, how can I trust this guy? Yeah. You know, if you're if you own an apartment building and 70 percent of the felons that you have rented to in the past have have been let into your apartment building and they committed crimes against their neighbor. It's pretty hard to say, well, yeah, we want that guy. Yeah, you know it really is, and so I think that's a fair question. The answer comes in what the Department of Corrections is supposed to be doing. Imagine, Rich, if you will, that thirty percent of those people failed mm-hmm. instead of seventy. In other words, thirty went back, seventy succeeded. As an apartment owner or as a employer or all these different things, it would be a lot easier to trust that. In fact, I would say thirty percent failure rate, seventy percent success rate is probably pretty common to the norm, to, to most people, the average mm-hmm. Joe. You, mm-hmm. you put in their, your apartments, 70% of them are great renters, 30% of them are bad renters. And so uh, the first thing I think really has to happen is the Department of Corrections has to change. And it is. Uh, one of the reasons I got back into this space, You know, I got out of prison, we kind of skipped this, uh, In I, I got out of prison, I wrote my book, All My Friends Are Felons, which is a book about my experience Two two inmates, Charles Gordon was one of them. Helped me write that book. Um, and I work in the criminal justice space. I work on a committee to try to create change. And you know, bless our politicians' hearts, the political uh, machine is extremely slow in what it does. Last spring, a new di- a new director was assigned to the Department of Corrections. The director is the boss of the wardens. He's the main. He's the guy where the buck stops. Mm-hmm. The previous three I'd worked with. And two of them were pretty good guys, but they just couldn't figure out a way to move the system because it's so entrenched. The last one didn't think the system needed to be moved, mm. uh, but the new guy is different. He's actually a a man who played basketball for me thirty five years ago. What? That's yeah. awesome. That is a full circle. Cool. Yeah, and and he's 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 a man named Brian Red. He's had a lot of success administratively in the, in the state of Utah doing different things. He was a patrolman for a a lot of years. Um, He was in charge of a a program called Project Rio Grande in Salt Lake City that was helping the homeless population to reintegrate them into society and to to eliminate some of the problems. That program has gone by the wayside when he left, but it was a pretty solid program while he was doing it. Anyway, he was assigned to that. And working on that committee, I went and met with him. And he was quite shocked to see the world I was in. (laughs) And because of that, because of my faith in him, I started my podcast, All My Friends Are Felons, and I started to try to change these very perspectives. One of the problems is these the men who succeed when they get out of prison, and women, they get out of prison and they just blend right back into society. We don't even realize they're felons. They mm-hmm. live next door and they have good families and they, they live a good life and they get along. And so those people kind of disappear. So the percentage isn't 70-30. The percentage is 70-0. Yeah. You know, the, the success rate is zero and the failure rate is 70. In our minds, that makes 100. Yeah. Uh, but Brian has, in just in about eight months now, has really started to make some effective administrative changes and starting to in, in implement some uh, changes on the on the correctional level so that the Department of Corrections starts identifying the men that come to themselves, that are accountable, and that want to change, and then provides opportunities for them to change. Um, I'm involved with another program. I actually go back into the prison every Monday morning and teach a class called Captain Your Story, which is an empowering uh, lifestyle class that teaches people to deal with adversity and deal with their challenges. It's a great course for any person, but for a lot of these guys, they don't know how when they get hit in the face with a problem, they just turn into a victim and feel sorry for themselves. Something we don't realize, most inmates feel themselves to be victims. Mm-hmm. They feel that way. And we think oh, they're, they're, they're perpetrators, they're not victims. Sure. But they feel like victims, not only because of the way the system treats them, but a, a, so many of them were victims in childhood. Mm. They grew up in very tough places that we can't even imagine. You know, drug dealers all around them, their parents, abuse, uh, living on their own. Uh, violence, things that we, oh yeah, that happens, over, that doesn't happen, does that happen that much? It doesn't happen in our world so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they live, grow up in hard places, and they, they see themselves as victims, but the ones that this program that we taught, that, we, that I mentioned, Captain Your Story, helps them realize that they, are, they can choose, and that they can be creators, they don't have to be victims. It teaches them to choose their friends more wisely, and to, to associate with better people. It teaches them how to overcome the adversities of life instead of sitting down crying and feeling sorry for themselves, it teaches them how to take accountability for that, and then to change their world through a purposeful process. So those are the kind of things that will change this world. Uh, help, allowing these men to quit pulling them back when they start climbing out of the bucket, not just not pulling them back, but helping pull them out. Yeah. And the ones that want to be out of the bucket are encouraged and, and empowered to get out of the bucket and, and to change their lives. And they will. I I I don't have any doubt that the large majority, you know, there's going to be some who don't. Sure. You know, sure. and you can't make them. You can't go and say, you have to do this. It has to be a choice. But if they're given a choice and they believe that choice is going to be valid and has hope, they're going to, so many of them are going to ha- latch onto it. And then imagine 30% of them go back to prison and 70% of them disappear Yeah. into society and become our neighbors and become p- trusted people.
1: Uh, I want to take another break when we come back. Uh, certainly part of that will be the three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, but I've got uh, some, maybe some gospel principled questions that I want to see how they intersect with what we've been talking about. We'll come back and do that in the third block of the cultural hall. Best DJ in You're right. It's a new ad. What? Well, it's been an entire season since I've recorded a best in ad and well, the wedding season coming to an end at this point, but not really, because what happens now is everyone who's going to get married in 2024 reaches out and says, Richie, is it possible? Do you still have this date? And I tell them, yes, hopefully. And then we get you booked. We'd love to be able to work with you, uh, travel all along the Intermountain West. Some people call it the Jello o belt. Uh, you can go to bestdjinutah.com to request a quote. You can find us on any of the social medias at Utah. And uh, we can answer any questions. Affordable? Yes. Over 400 five-star reviews? Yes. Highest rated in the state of Utah? Uh-huh. Go on. It's bestdjinutah.com And I'll give you a little hint. It also helps me to be able to do this, like financially, support the cultural hall through that. And you get something in return. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop computer and they start at only $29 a month. Check us out at PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, might I recommend that you become a Patreon Saint of the Cultural Hall. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall We always uh, like to use the clever little catchphrase of put your money where your ears are. But come on, where else are you going to hear from Mark Hugentobler about his experience? Is there another show that's doing it? No, there's not. I mean, sure, he's got his, uh, but you can uh, you can find this and other great episodes of the Cultural Hall over 750 episodes now for crying out loud, you guys! It's the last 12 years of my life I've dedicated, and all I'm asking for is a couple bucks a month. Patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. You can set it yearly and then forget it. Think of it as a Christmas gift, uh, an early Valentine's present. Uh, my birthday's in June. If you need a, if you need a reason, there. There's three reasons <laughs> you could do that for. Uh, patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall you know uh, as you're talking about the captain your story and some of the principles about that i'm like cool and also everyone should take that class not just people that yes are, you know are incarcerated um so so tell me a little bit about um how you feel with, within the language of the church you know certainly there are is some overlap of things we talk about like spirit prison and you know some of these other things how how has um your experience working with these individuals given you a greater perspective of what God has to deal with
0: <laughs> in deep empathy yeah um, I tell you I that's a that's a very interesting thing to me because uh, religion is something that is very important to me. The gospel is, you know, center of my life. Probably when I was a kid, it wasn't because I was a stupid kid. But as an adult, I've never, I've always been there. And it's always been there for me. So uh, that's a great question. And the thing that the thing that I came to the greatest um, realization about was the Christ Atonement. Hmm. How it applies to everyone for everything. I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast that uh, as a culture, we often kind of think that forgiveness ends at the prison gates. Forgiveness ends with the suffix felon, Uh, you know, and and it doesn't. In in fact, and and I won't tell you they're perfect. They still were not, some of them weren't even living great lives at the time, but some of the most humble uh, Christ-like men, that I met in my I've met in my life or wearing white jumpsuits in prison. Um they they are it really does apply to all of us. And and what more, and this may sound terrible, but if it's going to apply to that person that's been incarcerated, that's committed felonies, that's committed all these things against other people, how much more fairly or easily can it apply to me? Who I haven't you know, I've not lived a perfect life, and I've made my mistakes, and God forbid I've hurt people, and, you know, all of the things we can all attest to. Um, but that atonement applies to me, and I'm sure it does, because if it applies to them, it has to apply to me, and I don't mean that rude. Mm-hmm. I just mean that's a a valuable realization that I really came to, so... Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we we believe that God uh, leads our lives, right? Uh, oftentimes, you'll hear us say things like, "You know, He gave me what I needed, but not necessarily what I wanted," or you know, yeah. the, those sort of platitudes or those adages or whatever we want to call those things. You were pretty happy being a basketball coach, and, and absolutely, and, and you know, doing everything there, and then you you have this shift. Why? Why do you think that God? Oh, I know you why. He me there.
0: Yeah. He sent me there so I could see this. He sent me there. You know, I, I didn't mention this already, but as a basketball coach, I had some super amazing experiences playing in you know championship basketball, you know, state championships multiple times, uh, region championships, big games, rival games. You know, limelight stuff. It was just really a great experience in a lot of ways. Had a lot of challenges. It was you know, with, with every great experience, there was a pretty big challenge. But of my experiences, my the, the best experience of my professional career was being sent to prison. It really changed, it changed, it changed my perspective of, of the atonement of Jesus Christ. It changed my perspective of who we need to love. It's easy to love the people that are lovable.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: a lot harder to love the people that are pretty prickly or that don't look as lovable. And like you mentioned before, you kind of have to be smart. You can't just trust blindly. You got, you know, you gotta, it's important that we protect ourselves, and it's important we make judgments. But it's also important that we have mercy and a little bit of grace. Give a little bit of grace in the process. And I've you, learned that it's it's empowering to me. Do you think that younger Mark could have done it, or was it no. that
1: you needed to have the experiences that you had, and then in your I don't want to say older years because you're not an older guy, uh, but you know older than certainly you were when you were younger in your older years to be able to to step in and to make this sort of
0: change i don't i don't think i would have i could have. i could have succeeded i think i would have been like the i would have done my two years and done my sentence and got you know got out because i didn't have the experience i wouldn't have had the experience of being a coach and learning how to empower people i wouldn't have the empathy the patience um i wouldn't have had the the heart you know my heart was young and hard for a lot of years and and the experience of coaching (laughs) kind of beats that out of you (laughs) At least it did me. Yeah. Um, so no, I think if I'd have been younger, it wouldn't have worked so well. I think as it came in the twilight of my career. Uh, it came at a time where I was humble, because I'd been sentenced to prison. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't. I wasn't there of my own accord. Um, so I could relate, uh, and you mix that with my jump in with both feet personality, uh, it just was a good mix. And I think God knew what He was doing. You know, I. I don't. I. Um, Those people that sent me there aren't my favorite people, but I've forgiven (laughs) them a long time ago because it it worked out so well because it's been such a powerful, empowering thing in my life.
1: I think that that's a pretty powerful example when we think about those uh, things like that. You know, a lot of people will lose a job and they'll be like, what? And then they, you know, if they're able to just pause and or be able to see it from their two years from then eyes, they realize they got a better job where they're more fulfilled or making more money or, you know, they don't have to do the commute or whatever. But in that moment, we certainly get uh, really wound up about those things. You know, God's in control. And sometimes we go, no, but I want to be, but it should be me and it's going to look like this. And God's like, "Okay, go ahead and continue to
0: think that you're going to do that. And when you're ready. You can come back and win, <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll do this. I think that's very, very true. I think it fits this piece, and it fits all of our lives. God, God's in the details of our lives. so We so forget let me, that. Let me ask you this,
1: though. Uh, you know, we've had <laughs> conversations here in the cultural hall with um, – up here in uh in the Salt Lake area, you can be called to uh like a mission in in the jail, being able to be there on Sundays and helping with church services and stuff like that. Certainly, people that are small business owners they have the opportunity when they're hiring to consider hiring those that have been incarcerated. But if I'm just a you know I I go to my job that I'm working for somebody else and. You know, I'm not super nosy asking if people have been to prison or whatever. What can just the average person that's listening to this do to help a system that, you know, maybe needs some change or to these people that maybe need um, not a handout, but a hand up?
0: Well, I've said for a lot of years that every citizen in the state of Utah or any state that they're in, if they would volunteer in the prison for six months, it would change their lives. Just go be a religious volunteer. Go be there's all kinds of different volunteer things that you can do that aren't religious, mm. uh, but you go spend, you go spend six months going in once a week, and it, it will change your life, it will change your perspective, and it will change your understanding, it will change your empathy, it will change your willingness to accept, and to realize that yeah there's there there is hope for these men and women, uh, the the and they need a hand up, mm. so I, that would be my first advice is don't be afraid go to the jail go to the county jail um my wife and i were in charge of the 12 step program in our state for about 3 years uh there's 12 step programs in every county jail in utah and in in, in 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 both the prisons in utah uh, just find a way to volunteer and just go give 6 months or a year of your time one one evening a week uh, it would change your life
1: do you think do you think that that's because and I, and i sort of think uh this as well. Like so many times we have those preconceived notions about whatever group of people, right? Prisoners or, and I'm not saying that these are all related. I'm just saying that we don't get to know these people necessarily, but like LGBTQ folks or, you know, any of these groups that we're like, I have this preconceived notion about who and what these people are. And then we take a moment and we get to know them and we go, they are not at all what I considered them to be. Is it just that we need to you know, sort of personify these, and I'm air quoting, groups of people so that we can so that we can love them more? Or is it something more to it than just getting to know them?
0: Well, I think what happens is you find out you're more alike than you are different. Mm. You know, uh, if you take the inmates, for example, uh, I started thinking, you know, these guys have done some hard things. I could tell you story after story of some of the things that they did. I never wanted to know because I it, it would affect my it could it could easily affect my judgment. Mm-hmm. And I preferred not to find out what why they were incarcerated. Um but as I looked at their lives, I thought, you know, I've hurt people in my life. I've made decisions that hurt people or done things. Sometimes it, a lot of times it's my own my my immediate family, my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I need to be a little less, they deserved it or a little less. Well, this excuse and that, I need to be a little more humble and say, you know, I, I, I need to be accountable. I need to come to myself and say, you know, I, they deserve better and I should do better, which is a huge part. Of, you know, the, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ is the central part of, of what we believe. And that's about change. We always think of repentance as a bad thing, but it's such a powerful tool. Uh, it's not a bad thing. Repentance is just change, turning towards God and giving up the old and picking up the new. No matter what level you're on, whether you're the, the prophet or you're not, they're down here somewhere, no matter where you are, the process is exactly the same. Forsake, turn to God, and change. And it happens over and over again in our lives every single day, sometimes every hour or minute of every day. So uh, I just think that's what happens. That's what happened to me. I started realizing, man, I'm. I always thought I was a pretty good guy, and I still think I am. Mm-hmm. But I also started to kind of take apart some of the decisions, some of the things I've done in my life. So, you know, Mark, that was you. You took that was not good. You yeah. needed to find a better way. And what an empowering thing!
1: You know, we've talked a lot about uh, certainly your experience, and um, you know, people that are listening may have their own individual experience with those that have that have gone against the law, that um, have tried to change in their life, whether or not they were incarcerated. Um. If if someone is listening to this and and wants to be part of what I consider to be a considerable reformation as far as the system goes, right? How how is it best that they could help? Is it them contacting their local um political leaders? Do they you know write to the the jail or the prison in their area and say, what do you need? Like how how can because a change needs to occur because of the way that uh, these individuals are treated um it's getting better but you know if we're really going to help bring people out of this system to to be you know change to be repentant all the, you know all that stuff there there are things that are going to be a different how how would you say it would be best for people to uh, encourage that sort of change
0: well that's a great question i'm going to give an example i've got some friends I had a, I, one of the men who helped me write the book named Brian Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, was in prison. He was he grew up in a white picket fence life, got addicted to opioids with from his doctor, and became an addict, mm-hmm. and ended up doing five years in prison. A, a uh, pretty common out, story, not uncommon at yeah, all. Yeah, very common. Right. Yeah. And uh, when he got out, his family had a hard time with him. His dad, especially. And When he got out, he had some people, who were wonderful people who put their arms around him and helped him and kind of mentored him back into society. He got a good job. He's developed, he's got a better, better job. Now he's got a fantastic job. Hmm. Uh, and those people, uh, the bald ones just put their arm around him and said, Hey, what can we do to help? And they mentored him to help him, you know, get back into society, get back into life. And, uh, stories like that are very powerful hmm. and mentoring, you know, and I, you got to be careful. You know, you can't take a guy who's not come to himself because it's just going to cause grief. But we need to identify those people that have come to themselves as they get out of prison and and become mentors and help them. The church uh, at one time had a mentor program. Uh, uh, Dennis Wynn is now working on a mentor program. Um, that He was incarcerated. I, he was incarcerated with me in prison. Uh, there are all kinds of... And you'd have to look in your area mm-hmm. there are places where you can go and say hey, I'd like to be a mentor mm-hmm. and I'd like to help these guys so I think that's one way yeah um another way again is to go volunteer to be there sure um I think another way is to write your your senator or your or your house representative or both um and if you're not where to send sure where to send a letter uh, you know you can send a Darren o- Senator Darren Owens He's, one of, he's the senator that I work with in our, in our space. Mm-hmm. Uh, just write a letter say, you know, we want to figure out a way to help. We believe these men can change, and we want to support that, and we want to support the changes that Brian Redd's trying to make in the Department of Corrections to wow. help these men have an avenue as they come to themselves to become uh, good people.
1: Yeah. Not just a Utah problem and not just a United States problem. No. No. Uh, you know, a, a problem at large, but certainly something that everybody can kind of get involved with in their own area. I like the idea of mentoring too, because um, it's pretty hard to to not be keeping yourself accountable when you're, you know, walking along someone else and helping them to be accountable as well. There's something in the, in the teaching of things or, or being the example of things that makes you go, as to your point, you go, yeah, you need to make sure that you own it up. And then you do something and you go, Oh yeah, Oops. no, I'm not yeah, I'm not <laughs> I am not owning this like I just told that guy to do, so I better own this the way that I want to. Um, you know, our time is run short, so I want to get to the three questions that we ask everybody who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it?
0: Uh, in the church? Mm-hmm. I am uh let's see what I don't know what my calling is. I work with the priest corps. Okay. They, use, they change the names of that so often. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is, but I am a, an assistant. Is that what I am? in, in priest? It's
1: your story. You're a priest. Yeah, I, a priest
0: helper. I, I, yeah, I go to the, I go and
1: work with the priests. Perfect. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick?
0: Uh, my favorite calling in the church. I've had a lot of different ones. My favorite calling is gospel doctrine. I talk. I've taught gospel doctrine for off and on different periods for fifteen years. Wow, I just loved it. The last
1: question that we ask everyone, uh, we give you the opportunity to uh, interpret it however you would like. But the question is, what is your favorite part of your faith?
0: Family. How, How the gospel focuses on family, on not really even eternity, but yes. But family now, if you look at our world, the thing that is being destroyed... His family weighed um, way, different ways and different levels and is so important because it's the basic it's what makes human beings different from everyone everything else in the, in our world uh, there are different families in different ways in animal kingdom but nothing at all like what exists in the human race and and I just think family is such a critical piece of finding peace and happiness in your life
1: yeah, well said. And the message is sort of permeated through the time that we have been chatting because I when when you say family, I think of someone who cares for me and something and someone who I care for and how you know you can't You can't or it's really difficult to have one without the other, but how it makes just such a difference in our lives. Uh, Mark, you can find a a link to Mark's podcast as well as Mark's book in the show notes for this episode. In addition to anything else that uh, we may have chatted about that you want to just find an easy way to click and go through. Um, so, Mark, I hope that uh, that uh, this episode, Nourish and Strengthens Your Body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me
2: a seat, it's sure to be neat, on the back row.